are in the third part of our series Q&A. And, you know, when, when we started this series, I thought, man, there's, there's going to be some good questions. This is going to be fun. And boy, you guys have really submitted some tough questions, right? And I know Pastor Sterling was feeling that last week when, when we talked about healing. What happens when we, we pray for healing and, it, and God doesn't heal us? Or at least not yet. And so if you, you didn't hear that one, definitely check that out on our, our podcast or uh, Facebook. We also talked about uh, how do we get rid of idols in our everyday life? How do we get rid of those struggles that we, we just keep going back to? So again, you can check those ones out. But, you know, this all started with what do you do when you come across a tough question? Right? What do you do when you're reading the Bible and you, you see something difficult? And, and how, do you, how do you handle that? Uh, the other day, our, our son, Luke, he's, uh, he just started reading chapter books. So he, he's been reading those all the time, and he, he really enjoys them. You know, for a long time, we're sitting there, and we're reading through uh, every word with him and making sure he's got it all right. And so I, I asked him the other day, like, hey, Luke, what do you do when you're in your book and you come across a word that you don't know? Because I was curious. He's just reading to himself. He's like, oh, uh, yeah, I just skip it. How do you know what's happening? He's like, well, I know all the words. So I'm like, okay, son, yeah, sure. Uh, but, you know, he thought, well, I'll just skip it. But sometimes we have that, that same thing when we're reading our Bibles. We're, we're flipping through, we're reading it, and we get to a hard passage, and we think, man, I don't know what that means. Oh, let's just skip it. You know, let's just go to the next page. But, but in this series, uh, I'm challenging you, I'm encouraging you, ask the difficult questions. Do, do research. Dig deeper. Dig deeper because I believe that, that God's got more for you and that, that as we dig deeper, we uncover truths that, that we may have never seen before, right? As we dig deeper, we, we find that, that there's more layers underneath. So I encourage you, dig deeper. So in today's, today's message, uh, we've, we've got one big question, and, and later on we'll probably get to a second question if we've got time for it. Uh, but the first question is this. What does Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 mean? All right, so why don't you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. So we'll start by reading this. There's a little bit more to this question, and we'll look at it in just a minute. But first, we've got to figure out what does Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 mean? So somebody was reading the Bible, and they thought, man, this is a difficult passage. Um, we need to ask a question on this. So I'm, I'm glad that they asked. We're going to look at this passage. And, and let me state this. Uh, this is a tough question, right? This is a deep question, and we've only got 30 minutes to answer it, okay? I, I, could, I could come up and, and probably just read you passages of Scripture for 30 minutes, and we wouldn't even hit all the verses that pertain to this question. Uh, but we're going to do our best job uh, to answer that uh, in, in the, these next few moments we have together. So Hebrews chapter 6, uh, starting with verse 4, says this, It is impossible... For those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, thank you for uh, passages that are encouraging us. Thank you for passages that are challenging to us. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes and open our hearts to what you want to speak to us today as we dig deeper into this 
challenging verse in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, reading this verse, if you've never read this one before, uh, this, is a, this is a scary verse, right? If you look at that, it's a scary verse. If you're lacking the fear of the Lord in your life, uh, just read this a few times and, and think about it for a minute. And I promise you the fear of the Lord will come because it uses words like impossible. Impossible. And if you look at the other uses of the word impossible in the New Testament, you know what it means? Impossible. Right? It doesn't mean maybe or highly unlikely. It means impossible. And it says it's impossible for those who are enlightened, for those who have tasted the heavenly gift, for those who've shared in the Holy Spirit, for those who've tasted the goodness of the Word of God. So in other words, for those who, who are saved, for those who are believers and followers of Jesus, it says it's impossible for those who follow Jesus and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. That's a scary verse. It's scary to think of on two levels that I can think of. First, it's scary personally. I mean, we examine our own lives, and we think, man, God, where am I at? Have I fallen away? Have I rejected you? God, what do I need to do to make sure that I don't fall away from you? So it's scary to think that, man, if I fall away, am I just, am I toast? Am I done? Is there no hope for me? Should I, should I just give up? The second reason why I think it's kind of a scary verse is uh, to think about the loved ones that you know. You don't have to raise your hand, but does anybody have a loved one that you don't know of that at one time they, they were following Jesus? I mean, they were living for God with, with their whole heart. Uh, maybe they were even baptized in the Holy Spirit, and, and God was moving powerfully in their life. But today, they're not living for God. They're running from Him. Right? Is there any hope for them? Because this passage, it seems quite condemning. So let me look at the, the full question that, that was submitted says this, what does Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 mean? I always thought that if you come to Jesus with a sincere heart, he would forgive you of all sins no matter what you did. Is it talking about people who deliberately keep on sinning? So here we are, we're, we're coming to this, this tough passage, this, this difficult thing that, that maybe just doesn't seem to line up with, with what you believe. And so I want to give you a few helpful ways, a few helpful tools that you can use to help you uh, determine the meaning of a passage. As we dig into Scripture, there's, there's some tools that you can use. And uh, I, I'm probably not going to give them to you in the right order of what you should do, but we'll, we'll give you a few of them. So today, the first one that I want to look at is, is this thought. The Bible isn't going to contradict itself. It, it was written by God. Uh, God inspired about 40 people to write the Bible. So it was written by a lot of different people, but it was inspired through the Holy Spirit. So this is, even though it has different voices and different stories and different methods of writing, it's all one story. It's all one book. It's all united. So we know the Bible's not going to contradict itself. So we can look at other passages to see, does this line up? Does this line up? Is the way that I'm interpreting it lining up with the rest of Scripture? So we're going to look at a few other passages today to help you get a greater understanding of, okay, is it, can we take this at surface value that it's impossible as a believer uh, to fall away and then not be able to come back to repentance? So you can follow along with these verses on the screen. Uh, John chapter 15, verses 5 through 6 says this, uh, Jesus is talking, I am the vine, 
You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So Jesus describes our relationship with him uh, using a grapevine. He says, I am the vine, and you guys are, are the branches. So if you want to have life, you need to stay connected to the vine. You need to stay plugged into the vine, because that's the only way that you can live, is to be connected to the vine. That's the only way you can produce fruit. But if you pull away from it, right, if you remove yourself from the vine, then you're dying. There's no life. There's nothing that's coming in anymore. You can't produce fruit anymore. In fact, you are just going to shrivel up and die. And the only thing that you have in your future, your fate now, is to be thrown into the fire and burned. So this passage, it kind of echoes something very similar. Uh, the point that you can fall away from Christ, and that if you do, there's only one outcome, the fire, hell. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says this, if they have escaped the corruption of the world, if you've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn back or turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. So Peter here writes that if you were once part of the world, but then you came to know Jesus and, and, and you got saved, but then you go back and you get entangled in all that mess, you go right back to the way that you used to be living, it says that you're worse off. Think about that. It says it's worse off. It's better that you would have never known Jesus in the first place and just kind of waited. It says you're like a, a dog returning to its own vomit. That's a picture, isn't it? I always thought that was a weird verse until I saw that one day. It's disgusting. Man, dogs. And, and, and that's how the Bible describes us. We're, we're going back to our own filth, our own mess. Don't you know that God saved you from that and you're doing good now? Why would you go back to the things of the world? It's like a pig going back to its mud pit. Right? That's, that's how Peter describes it. That's, that's what we're living like when, when we do that. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, uh, talks about another, you know, this idea of not being able to be forgiven, and this idea of not being able to come back. Jesus says this, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. So this passage, uh, you know, scholars, we, we, they deem this as this is the unpardonable sin. There's one sin that you can't come back from, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Not against God, not against Jesus. It says, hey, those can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. One more verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. It says this, if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. 
Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we, we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. That's verse 31. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, I notice there hasn't been a whole lot of amens yet this morning. Right? Because these are tough verses. These are, how, how do we relate these things? I thought God was all about love and mercy. Why are we talking about judgment? Right, you're going to be hard-pressed to go out and find sermons based on these passages because we like to just focus on the love and mercy side of God and not the judgment. You know, maybe 200 years ago, you'd just find the, the judgment side, right? But, but today, I, I want to look at these passages because they're important that we just don't skip over them because we don't like them and doesn't make us feel, you know, soft and gooey on the inside. But again, this, this passage speaks to the receiving of truth, receiving the knowledge of God, but we deliberately keep on sinning. And it says that there's no sacrifice for sins left. There's no more grace because we've trampled on God and we've treated his perfect gift as just run-of-the-mill, as not something special, as something that's unholy. And it says that, that God will judge us. And, and how, I mean, just to think about that verse, how dreadful a thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, that's a scary place to be, to be on the judgment side of God. But I don't want to stop with these verses because there are other verses who say, wait, what about God's love and what about his mercy? So let me share a few of these verses with you quickly as well about God's love and mercy so we can get a better idea uh, of what is this passage trying to tell us. They'll be on the screen. John chapter 10 uh, says this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Oh, wait, hold on a minute, right? Those other passages talked about the ability to fall away from God. But now Jesus is talking about no one can snatch you out of my hand if, if you're in my hand. First John chapter 5 says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that, that when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Hebrews chapter 7 says, therefore Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So, so again, how do these line up, right? Can we fall away or, or does... Our, is our salvation completely secure? 1 John 4 says, The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, In his great mercy, God has given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Philippians chapter 1 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
And of course, in Romans chapter 8, it says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, which one's true? Which one's right? The, the first set of verses that seemed dark and scary? Or, or the second set of verses that seemed hopeful and really nice? Right? Which one is it? How do we explain Hebrews chapter 6 in light of these two seemingly opposing views? See, these passages, they seem contrary to each other. Right? If God's love is so great, then how is it possible to fall away? And so this has been debated for, for centuries. I mean, this is split churches. This is split denominations. And really, it's just kind of a, I look at it like a pendulum. And there's two sides. There's two far things. Uh, on the one hand, you have people who believe that you can never fall away. That when you are saved, that, that when you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that, that you're good, that you're set for the rest of your life, that no one can, can touch that salvation, that, that nothing can happen, and, and your ticket is punched to heaven, and, and there's no changing it no matter what you do the rest of your life. Right? I, you've probably met people like this. I, I, I remember I had friends in high school who uh, once they hit uh, confirmation class and they graduated from that, uh, their view was, okay, I'm saved now. Uh, I have reached the pinnacle. I never have to go to church ever again. I can live however I want. I, I can do whatever I want, and I'm going to be safe and secure the rest of my time because I've already punched my ticket to heaven. Now, on the other side of that pendulum are, are those who, who believe that you're constantly in jeopardy of losing your salvation. That with every sin and with every prayer of repentance that you're going into heaven and out of heaven, into heaven, out of heaven. As though God's grace is so fragile that, that it breaks with, with, with every little misstep. You know, I, I've met people like this too. People who, I mean, every week, they're responding, yeah, I need to receive Jesus. I need to receive Jesus. I need to receive Jesus. And, and they never grow in the faith. They, they never do that because they're, they're so worried about, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I saved? Am I not saved? So what's right? Which, which side of the pendulum is right? So let's, let's start attacking with maybe some things that we can say these are true. This is some truth that we can glean from the Bible that we know that we can't argue with. Uh, so the first thing that, that I'd like to point out is uh, let's look in the Bible at sins that can be forgiven. Some things that we know that we can come back from, that God can forgive us of. We see that God forgives people who, who are demonically possessed, right? God can deliver them and forgive them and put them on the right path. Uh, we know that God forgave the people who crucified Jesus. Right? Jesus said, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. We know that, that Jesus forgave someone who had lifelong ungodliness, the thief on the cross. And he, he was ungodly. He didn't follow God almost up to the moment of death. But right at the last second, he came in and he accepted Christ. So we know that God can forgive that. Uh, other places in Scripture let us know that God forgives uh, those who compel others to blasphemy God. 
Uh, we know that from Exodus 32, when the whole nation of Israel decided to worship a golden calf instead of God, they'd seen his miracles, they'd seen God part the Red Sea, they, they'd tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and then they went and they, they worshiped idols. But yet God came back and, and there was some damage done, but God, God forgave them. Murder, murderers were forgiven. Uh, people were forgiven of gross immorality. Peter was forgiven when he denied Jesus. For those who turned back to the law after knowing grace, they, they were allowed to be forgiven. And as we read earlier, blaspheming God or blaspheming Jesus, those were forgivable. The only one that wasn't was blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So we, we know these are all things that the Bible says, hey, we, we can be forgiven of that. Another truth that, that I just want to pull out and and I think from that first set of verses, especially from John 15, I think it makes it very clear that in your salvation, you can fall away. You can fall away. That, that just because you were saved at one point doesn't mean that you're going to be saved your entire life. See, many of the scriptures talk about knowing God or experience the power of the Holy Spirit and, and then in turn falling away from him. So how do these match up? How, how does this work? See, while it's true that, that I fully believe that no external force can separate you from God's love, that no enemy can snatch you out of God's hand, that Satan cannot overpower you, and while it's true that God will always keep his end of the bargain, right? He, he's going to love you completely. He is never going to let you go. But it's still dependent on us. Our salvation is still dependent on us in staying connected to the vine. So no one else can take your salvation from you. No force can take your salvation from you. But you can let it go. You can say, God, I, I no longer want you anymore. God, I want those things. Those things aren't, aren't pulling you away and tearing you off. You are making the choice of saying, I'm going to fall away. I, I'm not going to listen to God anymore. So the only thing that can separate us from God is our choosing to do so. So which side of the pendulum is correct? They both have truths. They both have truths. We, we can fall away from God, and God won't lose us. But again, the, the truth of both is that while God can't lose us, we can turn our back on God. See, it was through faith that we received salvation. It's through faith that we receive salvation, and it is through faith that we stay connected to God, that we stay connected in the vine. So not only do we need faith to receive him, but we need faith to continue to allow us to abide in God and stay connected to him. And so I believe that this conclusion, uh, as we continue to examine the scripture, is going to hold true. Because we're not done attacking this Hebrews chapter 6, and there's more tools to that. So one of the most important things that, that we can do as we look at scripture is to look at it in context. To look at it in context. What's before the verse? Who, who wrote it? Who, what's after the verse? Who are they writing it to? What was the original intent of the author? You know, in today's world, it's really easy to snack on God's word. It's really easy to do that. Why? We pull out our phone and we see, oh, this is my, you know, verse of the day, and we read that, or we see a, a, a verse pop up on Facebook, and we think, oh, that's good, you know, and, and you know, that, that was a good, good meal. That was a good tidbit, and that's going to satisfy me until tomorrow. But the problem is when we do that, again, there's nothing wrong with 
receiving God's word that way. But the problem is stopping there and saying that's enough. It would be as though you sat down to a nice steak dinner. I mean, steak, potatoes, corn, we got the gravy, hallelujah. I mean, this is good. And, and you're sitting down to it, and, and you go, and you, you pull out that knife, and, and you cut into just the corner of it, and you take one bite, and you say, oh, that was really satisfying. I think I'm good there. No. Eat the whole thing. You got to dig in there. There's a lot more meat there. You got to get all the way down to the bone. That's where it's the juiciest. That's where it's the most flavor. Don't give up. Because the problem is when we just take one little bite, we, we can take things way out of context. For example, did you know in Luke chapter 12, verse 19, Jesus said these words, and, and they're in red, so you know Jesus said them. He said this, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Did you know that? What if, what if you came across that on your Facebook feed today, and it popped up, Jesus said... Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Are they wrong? No, Jesus said that. Is that what he meant? Not even close, right? Because you got to look at the context. You can't just look at the one little snippet. you got to look before and after. If you would look before and after, you'd realize Jesus was in the middle of telling a story of a fool, right? A, a rich man who, who thought, you know what? I've got so much stuff. I'm going to tear down my barns, build bigger ones. And, and his conclusion was, that I should take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So that's not Jesus endorsing that. That's, that's this man that later in the parable, God would call this man is foolish. This man doesn't have it right. But when we just look at that little portion, we can take it out of context. And so we need to make sure that we're looking at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 in context. So let me give you a little context here. In the book of Hebrews, we, we don't know the author. Uh, we don't know who is writing, but we do know that they are writing to Jewish Christians. And, and in the whole book, they are proving that Jesus is, is a better priest. He's, he's a better mediator than any of the priests of the Old Testament. He's perfect. This is the way to salvation. So he's, he's coming at them through that. And, and through this, this book, he gives five warnings. Five warnings to the Jewish church. He, he warns them of the danger of ignoring salvation through Christ. There's a warning of danger of rebellion and unbelief. There's the danger of remaining spiritually immature, of just being, you know, babies in the faith and not growing. There's the danger of debilitating sinning and, and, and are deliberately sinning and insulting the spirit. And then this, this last danger that we read in chapter 6, the danger of falling away from Christ. So this warning that we see is part of a series of, of warning that the writer is giving to the church. So again, these were Jewish Christians, and, and ultimately all of the warnings were very similar. He's saying, hey, you remember the Old Testament. You remember the ancestors, right? They were given the law. Moses gave them the law. God gave them the Ten Commandments. And what did they do? They ignored them. They forgot about them. They wandered away. What happened to your ancestors? Oh, they got taken away in captivity. You know, they, they were killed, they were taken over because they didn't follow the law. And so the warnings ultimately are saying, guess what? It's your turn now. You're in the same boat. You don't have the law anymore. Now you have the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to ignore it? Or are you going to keep that the main thing? Are you going to keep that uh, everything and keep that your number one priority? So this is the warnings that, that the writer was giving to the church. 
And if we continue to read in this passage, we'll see that that warning plays out. See, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, so if we read just a couple verses on, uh, after the warning, this is what the writer tells them. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So I, I love this. The writer gives these warnings, right? And he says this, but I believe in you, right? I believe, like this is dangerous. Like don't fall away from God, but guess what? I believe in you. I think you can do it. You've got this. I believe that you're not gonna fall away. I believe you're gonna stay connected to that vine. I, I believe that you're gonna continue in that faith. I believe you've got this. And remember, God's just. He's going to be with you on this journey. You're not alone in this. And then the writer goes on to say the main point, the takeaway. Right? This is what you need to get from this warning. In, in chapter, uh, or verse 11, says this, We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, so that when you, uh, what you hope for may be fully realized. Get this, verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So this is the point. This is why this passage is in the Bible, because it's a wake-up call. It's saying don't get complacent. Don't, don't get lazy. Sure, we're telling you some scary things, but it's to wake you up to realize that this is so important. Right? Don't, don't treat the common thing, or don't treat these, these holy, righteous things. Don't treat the cross commonly. What Jesus did for you on the cross is not to be treated commonly. It's not to be comfortable. You need to remember that every day, the sacrifice he paid, because this, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you and the greatest thing that ever will. Don't forget about it. Don't treat it as common. Keep pressing on in the faith. See, when you just read Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, and you just read that section, you would think that the main point that the author is trying to make is, you have no chance. Give up. Right? You'd kind of think that that's what it was. But we see a couple of verses later, the main point is, you've got this. I believe in you. Stay the course. Keep the faith. Persevere. That's the point. That's why it's in the Bible. Right? That's why all those scary passages are in the Bible. It's a warning to say, don't give up. Don't become satisfied. Let's keep pressing on. Let, let's keep doing it. Remember, remember what got you into the vine. It was faith. It was believing in Jesus. So what do you need to do? Keep the faith. Keep, keep pressing on. Keep following Jesus. Keep trying to be more and more like him every day. That is the point. That's what we're called to be as believers. As, as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't just be like, all right, Jesus, I'm following you. Okay, that's, that's far enough. No, we're supposed to keep growing. We're supposed to keep, keep going. We're supposed to keep following him. And guess what? When we keep following him, then we don't have to worry about, am I in? Am I out? Am I going to make it into heaven? Am I not? Like, can I just, like, what's the minimum I can do to get in? No, we're, we're in because we're following Jesus every day. So back to those questions. Do I need to be afraid that if I mess up, I'm going to hell? 
right? Do I need to be afraid that I've committed the unpardonable sin? Well, if you're sitting here today and you're asking that question, then I think you're good, all right? Because that means that your heart is soft. That means you're not rejecting the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit's convicting you. And, and, and you, you want to have that. So whether you're connected or not connected, it means you can still be connected. So if you're asking those questions, that's a really good sign. Keep following that. But then the, the second question, I think the, the tougher question is this. Is there no hope for a loved one who accepted Christ and then fell away? Because right, some of you are wondering that. Is there any hope for my son or daughter or my loved one who knew Jesus but then is away from the faith? Can they come back? Because that verse still says, and it's impossible for those who've fallen away to come back and repent. And I think to answer that question, we need to, to ask the question, what does fallen away mean? How do you fall away from Christ? What, what does that mean? What does committing the unpardonable sin mean? And so the, the unpardonable sin, or, or what I would view as the definition of falling away from Christ, is best defined as the final willful rejection of the Holy Spirit. The final willful rejection of the Holy Spirit. Because remember that one of the Holy Spirit's roles is to convict you. It's to convict you of sin. And uh, another role of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit who helps us to recognize that Jesus is Lord. So if we reject him, it results in our refusal to believe. So that tells me, tells me this, that as long as there is still life, that there is still hope. As long as there's still life, then there is still hope that your loved one can come to Jesus. Because you never know when they're finally going to say, all right, I'm done rejecting the Holy Spirit. I'm going to allow his conviction back into my life. But the problem is once, once they die and they still state in that, I'm rejecting the Holy Spirit, well, that's the unpardonable sin because they've rejected him up until the point of death. So to give you just kind of a, a practical example of, of what this looks like of falling away, not falling away in the Bible, let me point you to, to two guys named Peter and Judas. These guys had a lot in common. Both were called by Jesus. Both gave up everything to follow Jesus. Think about that. They both saw Jesus' miracles. They both heard Jesus teach. They were both sent out by Jesus to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse those with leprosy, and to drive out demons. And on the night that Jesus told them, one of you is going to betray me, the disciples weren't pointing fingers at, oh, it's got to be Peter, or it must be Judas. They weren't being accused of that. So you could say that both of them had been enlightened, that both of, both of them had tasted the heavenly gift, that both had shared in the Holy Spirit, that both had tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. <clears throat> and yet, in our terms, we would say both of them fell away. You know, Jesus, or sorry, Judas betrayed Jesus. He turned him into the authorities. And on the same night, Peter denied Jesus three times. He said, I, I never knew him. So in our terms, again, you could say that both of them fell away. Yet we know that Jesus went on to restore Peter. 
you know, Peter went on to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. While Judas went on to commit suicide. And the Bible said that, that he went where he belongs or he went to his own place of evil. In other words, he went to hell. So, man, somebody on the same path, but both of them seemed like they fell away. But yet one was restored and one wasn't. See, in the Hebrews 6-4 passage, even though both disciples failed to follow Jesus, Peter did not fall away. Why? Because he got back up. Because he allowed his heart to stay soft. Because he allowed the Holy Spirit to convict him. While Judas did ultimately fall away because he continued to remain unrepentant and he rejected the Holy Spirit until death. And if we could have the, the team come on up. We're gonna, I, I want to answer this second question because it, this is a heavy question. So bear with me for just a few extra moments this morning. The second question that she submitted says this, what is the hope that we have for those who have taken their own lives? Does the God of second chances give them one more chance before heaven to give their heart and soul to Jesus? Now, this is a deep question, and it's right along the same lines. You know, who gets to go to heaven? Who gets to go to hell? Taking your own life, uh, does that qualify as the unpardonable sin? So let me answer the second question first, because there's a lot of biblical ground to stand on. Of Do they get a second chance after death? Hebrews 9.27 tells us clearly, people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. While it would be nice to believe that after we die, we can then make the choice of, do I want to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus? The Bible makes it clear that that's not an option. That we need to accept Christ while we're alive and on this earth. So now back to the first part of the question. Is there hope for someone who has taken their own life? First, let me say this. If you have a loved one in here who's committed suicide, I can't imagine the pain that you're going through. And I can't imagine the weight that this question weighs on your heart. Does my loved one have a, have a chance to go to heaven? Is there any hope? But let me also say this. I know that even in the darkest moments that you've gone through, in the deepest questions that you've asked, that the Lord is with you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. And he's going to be with you through every question, through every doubt, through every fear, through every tear that you cry. God is going to be with you. And we can stand on that. I can't imagine that the, the pain and the depths of this question hits, hits home for so many of you. So let's, let's look at the Bible. What does it say? Biblically speaking, it says that murder is a sin. It's one of the Ten Commandments. We are made in the image of God, and to take one's life is murder. Now someone might ask, well, what about, you know, what if they said, Lord, forgive me for what I'm about to do? But I'll also say this, but asking God to forgive us before taking one's life isn't repentance. It's, it's lip service. Repenting is not simply words, it's, it's actions. And, and, and so just saying that we're sorry isn't having a change of heart. 
So is there hope? Is there hope? I think this goes back to the question of what does falling away mean? So let me ask you this question. If you're a Christian, in the moment before you die, you told a lie. Or if you're a Christian, the moment before you died, you had a lustful thought. Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Think about that for a minute. God also, in our eyes, we like to rank sin. Which one's greater, which one's worse? You know, oh, murder's way up. No. To God, sin is sin. Sin is sin. So ultimately, what is the hope? I know that God doesn't rank sin, and I know that he's the judge. We, we won't know the answer this side of heaven. But we're not the judge. I'm thankful for that. But I know that God is. Jesus tells us, don't, don't judge others lest you be judged. God is our judge. So if your loved one has committed suicide, ultimately God is the judge. And we do not know the state of their heart. We do not know the battles that they were facing. We do not know where their heart was. And today, let me, let me say this. If you're, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts in this place, whether you're following Jesus or not, let me tell you that the answer to your problem, to your pain, it's not suicide. It's not. Because suicide is a permanent solution for, for a temporary problem. And so I challenge you today, don't take those thoughts lightly. Seek help. Seek help. Don't do this alone. You're not alone. There's people out there who love you, who love you. And it's never the right answer no matter how bleak. Don't test God's grace and see, is, is his grace good enough to get me into heaven? But trust in God's grace to sustain you. See, God loves you and he's got a plan for your life. He loves you. And again, that brings us to the cross. That's why Jesus came. So his grace could sustain so you could have a second chance. So he could be with you through, through the thick and through the thin. Right? Jesus came in and he took our penalty. He stood in the way so that we wouldn't have to face eternal death. We're sinful people. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. We've all sinned. We've all erred. We've all gone wrong. But Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He wasn't worthy of death, but he stepped in. And he took our punishment for us. And he died on the cross. And after three days, he rose again. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so I believe that today. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day of hope. We serve the God of hope. So ultimately, what's the takeaway from today? How should you respond in light of all these questions that we've asked? Let me read you two more verses quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, For no one can lay any foundation 
other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, this passage again, if you're looking for hope of, you know, does my loved one get in or not? And the Bible does say, you know, there, there's going to be those in heaven who, who just got through by escaping through the flames. But what's our takeaway today? Don't get into heaven by just escaping through the flames. I don't want to probably get into heaven. Anybody else in that category? I, I don't want to just make it in, right? I don't want to Indiana Jones it into heaven. I want to go all out for God. I want to be so faithful, so close to Jesus that I don't have to worry. Am I good? Am I not good? Like, God, which side of the pendulum do you fall on? Because I, I want to know if, if I'm... No, God, I want to follow you with everything that I have. I want to live for you with all of my life. I want to stay connected to the vine. So pursue Jesus with all that you have. When you mess up, ask for forgiveness. Keep pushing forward. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't flirt with sin, but live your life holy to God. Romans chapter 12 tells us, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, in view of the cross, in view of the sacrifice of what Jesus did for you to, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That means every day to say, God, in light of what you did on the cross for my life, I am so thankful that God, not my will be done today, but yours. And every day we say, God, here I am. Take all of me. God, I surrender. God, what do you have for me today? God, you gave it all for me. And so, God, I'm going to give it all for you. That's how we should respond when we see this warning of it's impossible to come back. Let's keep our hearts soft. Let's stay surrendered. Let's persevere. Let's challenge others around us. Let's go together. And that's how we should respond to Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Would you stand with me? Today, these altars are open as they always are. I challenge you, if you just need to come and you need to make things right, if you've just been getting comfortable in your salvation and today you need to come and say, God, I surrender fully, come and, come and do that. If, if God's working on some area of your heart, the Holy Spirit's convicting your heart, don't just let that sit there. Come and respond. Let God move in your life. Today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, today you can make that happen. And, and we're going to have... Uh, some prayer team members just right over here, they love to pray with you, so come on down. And, and they're going to pray with you. They're going to encourage you. Uh, they're they're, they're going to celebrate with you and give you resources to help you to grow. God is so good. God is so good. So let me pray for you today. Jesus, God, I just pray your blessing and your favor on your church today. God, as there's there's many out here today that I believe with heavy hearts because these questions weren't simply asked for themselves but they were asked for loved ones God who have wandered from you loved ones who 
who have made the ultimate decision to take their lives. And so, Lord, today I, I pray your blessing and your favor on them and their families. God, that, that the faith that, that is in this room, God, would pass down from generation to generation. God, that those prodigals that have wandered off, God, that they would run back to you because we know that you'll be there with open arms to accept them back into the vine. And God, may they stay there their entire lives. So Lord, we pray your blessing on your church today, on your people. Pray your blessing on their families and the generations to come. Lord, we love you and we thank you. God, may, may our faith be challenged today not to become complacent, not to be lazy, but Lord, to remember your sacrifice every day and to live our lives accordingly, that we would follow you closely. God, that we would be your sheep, your flock, your followers. We trust in you today. So bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, these altars are open. I encourage you, continue to seek uh, what God has put on your heart, the Holy Spirit.